I'm Tim Malloy. Welcome to Movie Maker. Today we have a very timely episode. The film we're talking about, Chasing, Chasing Amy, is debuting just a couple hours after I'm recording this on June 8th at the Tribeca Festival. Chasing, Chasing Amy tells the story of filmmaker Sav Rogers, who directed it and was a 12-year-old queer kid in Kansas, desperate for LGBTQ content, when he came across his mom's VHS copy of the 1997 Kevin Smith movie, Chasing Amy. As he explains in the film, and in a TED talk that became quite popular not too long ago, Elisa Jones, played in the film by Joey Lauren Adams, provided a kind of model for how he could live a life that was cool, confident, and queer. Chasing Amy is one of those movies that seemed pretty progressive when it came out, but in some people's minds, it has not aged well. Sav and I talk about those complaints, along with our second guest, Chasing Chasing Amy producer Alex Schmitter, who is, in addition to a film producer, the director of transgender representation at GLAAD. One thing I really like about Chasing Chasing Amy, first, is that it's really fun to say. Also, that you can take it as a trans story if you like, or as a very charming, thoughtful, and generous film about a film that features a trans protagonist, Sav, at its center. In the words of Homer Simpson, it works on so many levels. There are fascinating dynamics at work between Sav and the people he interviews, including Kevin Smith and Joey Lauren Adams, as well as Guinevere Turner, the actress and screenwriter who inspired Alyssa Jones, and whose credits include Go Fish, American Psycho, The Infamous Betty Page, Charlie Says, and a new memoir, When the World Didn't End, about growing up in a cult. Yeah, we cover a lot this episode. We also talk about Margot Robbie, and unfortunately, I don't think we even mentioned Ben Affleck, who is the male lead of Chasing Amy. I wonder whatever happened to that guy. He was, he was, he was good in it. Anyway, here's Sav Rogers, director of Chasing Chasing Amy, and Alex Schmitter, producer of Chasing Chasing Amy. Just for some who's who, you'll first hear my stupid voice, then you'll hear Sav briefly, and he quickly throws to Alex. For people who don't know anything about Chasing Chasing Amy, can you explain what this movie is about? Can I explain succinctly <laughs> what this movie is about? Um, that's a great question. Alex, when you were in the It is about um, a young kid who was growing up in Kansas and encountered Chasing Amy as a 12-year-old teenager, and that film saved his life. Um, he then gives a TED Talk about the rom-com that saved his life, and that sets him on this journey of interrogating and investigating why there was such personal and significant meaning both to him, but also a complicated relationship with the LGBTQ community and this film. And, and through that journey and that filmmaking process, he's coming of age and figuring out who he is and um, you know, growing up to be the, the amazing filmmaker that he is. I'm embellishing a little bit because I'm sitting right next to him, but um, it's a very powerful, I think, coming of age story um, and ultimately a tribute to the movies that change and even save our lives. Was that okay? I think that was <laughs> okay. I'll let you do the whole interview, man. <laughs> Steph, one thing you talked about in your TED talk is that you watch this movie every day at one point for, I think it was like a month and you add a kind of a joke, like then you realize that there were other gay movies or you didn't know that there were other gay movies. Not that Tracing Amy is like a, you know, we'll get into whether it qualifies as a quote unquote gay movie. Um, but what what year was this? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to ask you like, but I remember there being a lot of movies available like in the 2000s and 
Uh, it's not whether or not they were they existed. It's that I didn't know about them as a as a twelve year old in suburban Kansas with uh, a presumably straight mother um, and you know uh, uh, mostly straight people around me. So I just didn't know what I didn't know. You know, streaming services were not uh, a thing. Uh, you know, YouTube was not really a thing yet uh, in 2008. I think it's important where you came across Chasing Amy though. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, the movies I had access to were the movies that my mom owned, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so this was a movie that we just had. Uh, there was not a rich collection of uh, new queer cinema on the shelves because that wasn't super accessible in terms of mainstream uh, access mm -hmm. to, to me anyway. So, yeah. you know, as I got older, I was able to discover the the rich history of LGBTQ cinema that existed way before 1997 and has continued since. Yeah, it's kind of crazy for people now. I mean, people don't even realize like how recent same-sex marriage is. Like it's really, really recent. I mean, in the 2004 presidential campaign, both sides, Democrats and Republicans were totally against it. Like the world really has changed a lot in the last few years. and. Now you can go on Amazon or Netflix and it's like LGBTQ plus cinema and it, it's like a section, but mm -hmm. it was not like that until very recently. And I don't know if everybody understands that. Um, yeah. 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 And I, I want to just say too, is it's also the director of transgender representation at GLAAD when I'm not producing films. I think there's also something to be said about the political landscape versus the cultural and social landscape. So oftentimes those are working in parallel, but sometimes they're not. And so what we've seen over the years is cultural and social acceptance has really progressed in a way that allows LGBTQ people to be and live and create as themselves, while this political backlash is also consistently happening because that progress is being made. So you know, I have a very similar experience to Sav in the way that the first movie I ever saw was Boys Don't Cry, which you're familiar with that film. You know, that's not a very necessarily hopeful outlook on what it means to be a transgender man. And so I think that's where I'm really excited about Sav's filmmaking and sort of what he wants to say with his point of view in that we're not the worst things that have ever happened to us. And we find our way through by means of finding our people and our community. Right. Yeah, one thing I really like about your doc is it makes the point that good things can come from a arguably imperfect messenger. Um, mm. A lot of people have made the point that Chasing Amy is not really like a perfect movie in terms of representation, um, but it still had a lot of value to you. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. You know, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect messenger, you know, um, everybody's relationship with specific movies is uh, is subjective right there's no objectively this is the the correct way to make a movie or to tell a story right um you know for me what worked about chasing uh, amy was that uh, I, I got to see like the rich inner lives of those characters i found it to be really honest with my sense of romanticism and it presented a possible, uh, you know, a possibility model in, in a way in Alyssa Jones because she was so confident. She was so herself. It was everything that I wasn't as a 12 year old kid who was really questioning mm -hmm. who I was and where my place was in the world. And so, regardless of how Chasing Amy continues to age, regardless of 
of uh, how culture continues to evolve and progress, like it still had a very meaningful place in, in my heart and still does. Um, but I, you know, uh, things evolve. I've seen tons of new movies since then, if you can imagine. <laughs> um, and there are a lot more movies now that are probably closer to the perspective that I'm interested in as a, as a storyteller, but also uh, movies that represent my journey in terms of, you know, my, uh, you know, my gender and and, and my sexual orientation probably more than Chasing Amy. Um, but it doesn't change like Chasing Amy was the movie that I had access to. And you don't really pick the thing that saves your life, right? Um, yeah. But I think we can look back on movies of the past and, and see that it's indicative of the progress that's been made since then. So I look at Chasing Amy and I see, okay, this is what a movie came out in 1997 that was sympathetic to LGBTQ people from the perspective of a straight guy who is not in the community. Um, what does that look like? And because of that, now I'm, you know, I, I saw a path forward, not only in terms of my life, but also as a filmmaker. And now I get to tell the stories that I always wanted to tell. And I think that that's a, a nice thing, you know, when you, you know, you exist, who can you become? Yeah. You know, I felt like there was kind of a knock on Chasing Amy with some of the people you've talked to that I didn't think really is fair. Um, where like there, there's a criticism that this movie is like, that the idea of the movie is if the right guy comes along, lesbians will switch um, and become in, in heterosexual relationships. But that's sort of true if you watch half the movie, but at the end, she doesn't end up with the guy. I mean, this is a, a short passage of her life um, where she's with the Ben Affleck character. And in the end, she doesn't end up with the Ben Affleck character. It's kind of like, it reminded me of like, you know, there's a, Rocky usually loses the first fight and then wins the second fight. Sure. Um, that's the one that counts. So I just, I don't know, did that, did that criticism bother you? I think when I was younger, that, that criticism bothered me because, uh, you know, I, I felt that I was in a position where I had to defend Chasing Amy, a movie I did not make, but had uh, a lot of significance to me. Um, and as time has gone on and I've been able to talk with more people about Chasing Amy and certainly the point that I'm at now, I, I think in the same way that there are multiple things true at once in Chasing Amy and in Chasing Chasing Amy, there are multiple things true at once of you know how you can read that film. So you, I think you can pretty much go into Chasing Amy or Chasing Chasing Amy and get out of it exactly what you're kind of you know unconsciously looking for. So if you're if you're looking for great bisexual pansexual storytelling you know in the in the Alyssa Jones character I think you can find it if you are a queer woman who has been hurt um by uh, specifically men telling you that oh well you can be you can switch you can you know this is just a phase I understand and completely empathize with the idea that this movie is hurtful but I think it's a nuanced thing. And so while I don't personally agree with that assessment, I also want to hold space for anybody who was hurt by it, because I think it's it's a perfectly valid thing based on the context of the of the world that we live in, where people do use that argument, and it is hurtful. People are unironically spouting uh, the things that Benke says, like they're facts versus, ah, well, this is the character in the movie who needs the most growth and is representing this specific life experience. So I, I want to hold space for the people who are hurt by Chasing Amy, because um, you know, that's, that's real. That's a real critique. And, um, but I think, you know, as time has gone on, um, 
you know, in some ways Chasing Amy has aged uh, worse <laughs> to, to a lot of people, but also better because this is indicative of a very specific period of time. And I think too, what I will say is that art enters into a cultural context that has cultural consequences broadly and then personally. And what I appreciate about Sav's direction of in and of this film is he's willing to engage in those criticisms, in that conversation in a way that I think is really important as we look back at the movies that have been made and the stories that have been told, just to look at them as what they were in a particular moment and not be stuck in one point of view forever in our lives. And I think one of the um, key themes of the film, which I so resonate with, is that it's a meditation on aging and growing up and looking at things from a different place and perspective, because hopefully as we're all coming of age all the time throughout our lives and integrating different perspectives into our own so that we can live in the gray and th see things as complicated and messy and the things that meant something to us at one point may mean something else at another and being able to hold that I think is something that I hope people are able to take away from the film and, and Sav's own vulnerability and experiencing that in the film itself. Yeah, you know, when you talked about the things that aged well in Chasing Amy, I was thinking, I haven't watched the movie in years, but the aspect that we now label as slut shaming, which I don't think there was really a name for mm -hmm. in the 90s, not as widespread at least, um, mm -hmm. which was a very real thing. And the movie is kind of about two things. It's about this relationship between a heterosexual guy and a lesbian woman, but it's also about the fact that he can't handle that she has any kind of past at all, um, which is it comes up a lot in Kevin Smith movies. Um, and it's obviously a thing that he's kind of working out. And Joey Lauren Adams talks about how that happened in their real relationship, that it seems like that was a problem. Were you surprised by that? I mean, I was really surprised by that interview. I mean, it 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 comes at a pivotal point in the movie. And it's this movie is not just like pure cheerleading, hooray, chasing Amy is perfect. And Kevin Smith is a wonderful guy and everybody's happy. Um, there was some darkness that went into making the movie. And the movie is in a way Kevin Smith's apology for that darkness. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was more surprised than I was that the interview turned out the way that it did. I mean, but I'm so grateful to Joey for sharing her truth with me because, you know, in her words, you know, uh, she she couldn't give another bullshit chasing Amy interview, right? Um, which I appreciated. I appreciated, you know, when people give you feedback, when people tell you their truth, when people, you know, are, are open with you in that way, it is a gift. And so... Um, my primary concern in that moment was just hearing her because, you know, I was very surprised sitting in that interview chair because I had spent uh, over a decade researching Chasing Amy, digging up any interview that I could find. Um, and I still hadn't seen this perspective because she hadn't shared this perspective publicly in this way before. And so as I'm sitting in that interview chair, all I'm thinking about is like, okay, I better, now's your time to, to actually listen, right? You're doing a lot of the, the question asking, but you need to, to hear this. Um, and I'm always going to be grateful for that. Um, it, it was raw, it was vulnerable, it was honest, it was not what I expected, but that's also just part of life is that these moments happen and you can either rise to the occasion and listen, or you can, can you know, I could have continued my thought process the way that I had. And, and, you know, what I say in the movie is that I had to, to 
reevaluate some things after the Joey interview because it put a lot of things into perspective for me, not just as a filmmaker, but as a person of what am I prioritizing here? What's important to me? Um, and the, you know, the things that I thought would make me happy making this movie didn't. You know, the things that made me happy making this movie were the things I had the whole time. It, it didn't matter if I got another interview. It didn't matter what I did after that. I had to go home, edit this thing, and and really sit with that truth and and let that inform the edits. And I'm so grateful to, you know, people like Alex and Carrie Radigan and Matthew Mills and Lila Mead O'Connor and, and our editor Sharika and our AD Lauren. Like they all were invaluable in, in helping figure out how to present, you know, this this interview in a way that felt authentic to how it felt sitting in that chair, but also to honor the truth that Joey shared with me. Um, and I'm always going to be grateful for that. Yeah. There's another great interview where Kevin Smith kind of, it's pretty early. It's about a third of the way to the movie where Kevin Smith is talking about how happy he is that you found the movie and that it meant something to you. And then you kind of abruptly cut it off. And I was like, wait, did I, did I miss something? What happened? Why did, why did it cut off? Um, and then I watched it again and I think understood it better. Can you talk about what happens in that moment? I mean, it seems like a, a pivotal moment in your life. I don't know if it's just a pivotal moment in the film or if it was a pivotal moment for you. Yes. Um, the moment <laughs> you're referring to, I, yes, I come out as trans in the movie and I also came out as trans in real life. Yes. <laughs> at, that, so, at that moment? Uh, yeah. So effectively we're doing the interview uh, and, and Kevin you know, I, I go by, I've gone by Sav for a long time. You know, you look at the the slate on the very first day of shooting Chasing Chasing Amy at the beginning of the movie with Shana Laurie. Uh, like the first thing you see, it says Sav Rogers on it. I've been going by Sav for a while. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it was surprising to hear Kevin, you know, say my 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 name, my full name at the time, right? Um, like but then- dead name. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't even my dead name at the time. It was just like surprising. And, you know, uh, Kevin had always tried to be really thoughtful about like how I wanted to be referred to my pronouns. It wasn't always like super clear to him, I think, you know, it was just like, well, this is just sad, right? Um, and so, you know, in the movie, it's like, you know, we took a break, we took a little, you know, smoke break as, as you do with Kevin Smith, right? When we stepped out onto the patio and he was like, hey, like, you know, I felt weird, like saying your name back there, you know, and, and can you just clarify your whole gender situation to me again? And I just, uh, I was just kind of tired of not being able to be myself. And so what I said to Kevin was, look, I'm a, I'm a trans guy who hasn't come out and I don't know if I ever will, um, because I'm not sure I feel safe to, to be totally honest. And Kevin, you know, he basically said what's what's in the movie, which was, man, it's such bullshit that people could, wouldn't be able to deal with that. You know, it, it's not that hard. And I was like, you know, this is this is validation from a guy who is not queer, not trans, somebody who has played a major part in, in shaping the direction of my life because I responded to his movie so well when I was 12, right? Um, and for to have that moment of, of validation was incredibly meaningful. And it kind of gave me the confidence of, I can do this, I can be myself. And it's, it's kind of like getting permission in some ways from somebody who you admire. Um, and that moment was very meaningful. And so, you know, we didn't capture it on camera because I, I didn't want to have that conversation on camera. There, there's a conversation I think to be that I was constantly having with myself of how much of my life do I want to put out there? 
And, you know, I show about as exactly as much of my life as, as I wanted to, because I, I didn't want it to be this, that, that was a real moment for me. I didn't want to go back and, and make it this hammy, uh, inauthentic thing, because this is exactly how this happened. Well, I mean, and there's something to that as well, that I think is really helpful for you and movie maker, Tim, that like, there were a lot of conversations about how to include Sav's transition and his own becoming that I think are really helpful models, not only for cisgender filmmakers, but also trans filmmakers that like the, the, the story in and of itself is a coming of age. It's a love story about accepting yourself and finding love around you. And there were a lot of conversations that we had, we're both transgender men and it's, it was one of the best kind of collaborations to be able to talk through what kind of story do you want to tell that is not just repeating, recycling, regurgitating what trans people have been portrayed as, even in documentaries. Um, yeah. So that I hope comes through is that that is not the A storyline. It's right. Yeah. C or D storyline. Well, and there's intention behind that. Well, and credit to Alex, because before he joined the project, I was really wrestling with this idea. And I, I wasn't sure how I wanted to talk about my transition because it's it's a it's a very personal thing. And so when your only models really in filmmaking, when you look at a hundred years of cinema history are well, you have to have the obligatory uh, hormone injection shot. You need to show any kind of medical treatment that you've received. And, and for Alex to be like, well, hold on, pump the brakes. Like, you don't have to do that. Like, what do you want to do? How would you like to explore this? And to, again, kind of get permission of like, hey, you can think about this differently. You can, in the same way that, you know, you're able to, to be yourself as a person, you know, bring yourself into, you know, your directing here and like, imagine the possibilities of, of, of what could be different here. And so full credit to Alex for just encouraging that thought process and constantly bouncing ideas back and forth with me about what felt like the most authentic thing for me to say about my journey. And that's yeah. collaboration. Like yeah. the challenging, the arguing, the wrestling. Arguing is dramatic. I don't well, argue. Um, but it's like being able to receive and listen. And that's what has me very excited about Sav as a filmmaker, because he is so thoughtful and self-aware and willing to, as the film does, engage in challenging conversations and not leave them sort of more, um, more just strictly the same as you were before that conversation. And so um, I'm really excited about this film because again, as someone who works at GLAD and who's a producer on a number of other projects to see a story that for the first time I really resonate with and that really moves me, especially at the end to see this kind of love story and the hope that can be found when you are yourself and you develop your own voice and point of view, so. Thanks, man. Thanks That's nice. <laughs> so I like you guys handled it too. Um, I liked it a lot because a lot of times I get a lot of pitches where publicists bless their hearts. I mean, they're trying to get you to pay attention to their movie. Um, but a lot of times it's like the identity of the filmmaker mm. and there's no explanation of what the movie's about. And it's like, that's yeah. true, but what's the story? Like there has to be a story and this movie stands alone. Um, 
it, it works on every level. That's, well, I guess what I'm saying. I mean, it, it, you have it both ways because it works as your coming out story, but it also works as a story about this documentary. And it isn't, it's well balanced across all. Um, it's a Thank very, you. and it's also just, it's just flat out surprising. I mean, that you save that kind of one-two punch for the end um, of this, of this Joy Lauren Adams interview where you go, wait a minute, this is about more than I thought it was about. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it really made me think about my life and like where it was 1997 and what conversations was I having? And I think I related more to that aspect of like, you know, dating women being like, oh my gosh, you have more history than I do. This is emasculating or whatever. And it was so stupid. And like, as you get older, it becomes the thing where you're like, that's the dumbest thing I could have possibly cared about. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to live to to see that. And it, again, you know, imperfect vehicles. So right. yeah, I mean, I think you just got, I think you did a really nice job on it. Um, Thank you. And I also feel like- Emotional. I, we're gonna, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I also feel like I've known about this movie for a long time. Like I feel like I started maybe on Twitter, maybe following on Twitter or something, but I feel like it had such a good hook. I feel like I've been like plotting this movie and looking forward to this movie for years to the point where like it was pitched to me. I was like, oh yeah, we're definitely doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta see how that came out. How this was in progress since like 2019, right? How did you how did you get such good backing for it? You're, I mean, you made a great movie, which explains why you're in Tribeca. But how did you get so much support for it and get such a high profile and do so many things to like get the right people on board? A great question. Well, first of all, thank you so much for all of your kind words about the movie. Um, that that's very meaningful to me. It got me a little emotional. It's it's a very raw time, as you can imagine. Um, um, uh, and the the structure of the movie. Just to comment on that real quick, like I, I did want people to to follow along on on my my journey and how it felt being in that moment. So the first hour is like pretty hunky dory because like. I was making the movie I always wanted to make. This was my my fucking dream. Um, and then I I wanted that gut punch at the end with the with the interview with Guinevere, then Kevin, then Joey. I wanted that one, two, three of like, hey, there's another side of this that you have not considered. Um, and so I, I'm glad that it worked for you on that level. Um, in terms of your the question you just asked, um, the, apparently I came up with the idea for the movie in 2015 um, in, in college. It was my first real, I started filmmaking in 2014 in college. Um, like I, I, I consider day one to be like July 1st, 2014. It was the day I decided, okay, I'm really pursuing this. I'd been in film school for a year and didn't accomplish anything. So uh, I, I consider day one to be the, the day that I was like, yep, we're gonna go for this and we're gonna try to learn as much as possible as quickly as possible. Um, apparently I came up with the idea back in 2015, which I like was looking at my notes recently, like preparing for interviews of like, okay, when did I come up with mm. this? Um, and, which is surprising, but I got really serious about the idea in 2017 at the Telluride Film Festival. I was part of the student symposium and I was there seeing all these amazing movies. I mean, like Lady Bird premiered that year. And there were also like these incredible documentaries that were there. and, it, and it, made me start to think like, I think you could, I think you can do this. I think you can do this. So like, what do I, what do I have to do to, to make this happen? So I started slowly bringing collaborators and, and thinking, okay, well, 
what is this actually going to take? And I realized, okay, you have no connections to, to anybody with Ch at Chasing Amy, at Miramax, at any of the places that had any involvement. So you're, you're going in from, from zero. Um, and then I got a Facebook ad for this thing called the TED Residency. And I ignored it a couple of times. <laughs> I applied on the day of the deadline with my director's reel, a still from the last uh, short film that I had made. And I, uh, I gave a vague description of what I would talk about, which is I wanted to talk about LGBTQ storytelling. I was like, I think that there's a TED talk in there. Never expected to hear back. Uh, two weeks later, I find out that I'm like a finalist. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the opportunity to meet with Cindy Stivers, who you see briefly in the movie. She was the former editor-in-chief of Time Out New York. Um, and she was also the, the director of the, the TED residency program. And then uh, Katrina conan Real, who was the program manager. So I interviewed with them and their intern, Jordan Wright. Um, and we're just having a great time. We talked for like 30 minutes. And it's like the still the greatest interview I've had for like any kind of job opportunity uh, in my life. It was just, uh, we were just talking and they were talking about, uh, if you had to give a TED talk tomorrow, what would it be about? And I gave the pitch for the TED talk um, and, and making Chasing Chasing Amy. And they said, that is the most narrow, most specific <laughs> idea for a TED talk we've ever heard. We'll call you back in two weeks. Three days later, I found out that I got it. I moved to New York and I considered day one of making Chasing Chasing Amy, September 1st, 2018. When I moved to New York, got out of Kansas really for the first time in my life um, outside of traveling for film festivals. And I just had an opportunity to work on pre-production for three months at TED HQ and then give the TED talk. In terms of like garnering support for it, the TED talk was the, the number one tool <laughs> um, because I was a filmmaker with, with no credibility, really. I had made some short films before. Yeah, yeah, and, you did a part. Yeah, but like, I, I didn't have credibility of like, hey, here's a, really specific idea for a movie that I'm not sure anybody else buys into, but the opportunity to tell my story in eight minutes uh, on the TED stage, you know, it got investors interested. It got collaborators interested. It got Kevin interested in just meeting with me. Um, and so that, that was like the number one tool, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of it really as a tool when I was doing it. I was just like, well, maybe this will get some people interested, but maybe you know, people will understand my story and, and not think this is such a wild idea. Um, and I was really hoping to to reach Kevin and anybody else who, you know, I wanted to interview for the movie with it as like a, hey, like, this is a real idea, I promise. Like, I know that uh, I'm I'm just a kid from Kansas, but I promise this is a real movie. Um, and and that's really kind of all how it came together was like, I was able to to tell my story in a very specific way before the movie. Um, and I was given this incredible opportunity by the kind folks at TED and, and, you know, that's, that seems to be how I've rallied the troops over the years is just being like, Hey, here's, here's this talk I gave, here's the movie I want to make, you know, let me know if you're, if you're interested. And then you get guys like this who, who want to come into the fold because we, you have a great general at GLAD. <laughs> you know, you brought her up and I feel silly that we didn't mention her before because she's so crucial to your movie. Guinevere Turner um, made a movie called Go Fish and in the process of making, and Go Fish was really a movie about just telling lesbian stories and showing normal life um, that was a non, this was pre-L word. I mean, this was like 1995, I want to say. 94. Uh, that she, 94, that she took it to Sundance. Her and her partner who made, she made the movie with were just complete starving artists at the time. They met Kevin Smith, I think on the festival circuit, I think at Sundance. And that's when Kevin Smith 
kind of <laughs> became Kevin Smith and a friend of his who with whom he made Chasing Amy became really like infatuated with her. And that's kind of the where Chasing Amy starts. Guinevere Smith like is the real character um, as you get into in your film. Um, I love Guinevere Turner um, in part because she, I think she's the first person I interviewed when I, my wife and I took over Movie Maker Magazine um, because we did an wow. American Psycho um, retrospective. And she, of course, co-wrote American Psycho and her and Mary yeah. Heron were the only people who ever could have successfully made that. Um, Incredible. And did a great job. And she's awesome. And she's also out a lot now because she has a new book out about growing up in a cult. She yeah. is just a fascinating, awesome person. It, it is a devastating, harrowing read. Um, yeah. I, I, I read it as quickly as I could as like, you know, the day it came out on her birthday and like it got delivered to my house and I'm like, okay, how quickly can I like read this and be thoughtful? Like Ugh. it is a devastating read. She is such an incredible writer. I mean, the fact that Guinevere Turner like made Go Fish and helped pioneer lesbian cinema, that's one thing. Uh, her writing this book about her experience growing up in a in a cult and what happens afterwards. Um, another incredible thing. Co-writing American Psycho and being in it is enough. Like if she just did even like one of these things, that <laughs> right, would be right. cool. She's also an educator. You know, she's also an incredible, like she, I adore her. I think that she is one of the most original, amazing filmmakers I have ever had the good fortune to meet. And I cannot believe that she gave us so much of her time to, to be in this movie. And, and to share, again, share her truth with me, yeah. which was raw and vulnerable. Um, yeah. it, it, it was a gift to be able to interact with her in any way because I just admired her filmmaking so much. Um, and, and the fact that she's a, a fantastic person, um, you know, that's the, that's the cherry on top, right? <laughs> well, here's the weird dynamic thing going on. The other person we interviewed in that issue was Margot Robbie. And I know you have a connection <laughs> to Margot Robbie. So I was wondering if you could explain the Margot Robbie project. Oh gosh. Um, am I allowed to with the writer's strike? I oh, good to. Okay. I maybe Alex can answer this question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah, so the other project that um I'm producing that Sav and his co-writer Taylor Gates, um, we have in production is called "I Love You, Margot Robbie." Pre-production, pre-production, development, pre development, development, development. development. Um, and it is about a trans teenage boy who um, is trying to figure out who he is and going through all the woes of um, high school, and accidentally comes upon uh, a Jiminy Cricket in the form of. Margot Robbie, who falls off a billboard when he accidentally points to the wrong billboard. Yeah. Um, so it is fantastical. It is larger than life. It is a really exciting project that we are working on right now. That well, we, not right now. Not right now. Not during the writer's strike. But um, that really, I think, showcases um, Sav's wildly imaginative surreal daffy point of view that um we're really excited to explore um because he and i are, are sort of partnering up as you know producers collaborators ongoing and so that's probably the most i can share right now i hope i didn't go no, no i wasn't prepared to talk about that one <laughs> no okay i will say we are both very excited for the barbie movie not that that yes, needs more promotion yes. but we're just like that we've yes. set a date in our calendars we're like 
That is the only thing happening on that day. Exactly. <laughs> Barbie fever. And I know you probably can't answer this, so feel free to just say nothing, but have you talked to Margot Robbie because it seems like she would be helpful to that project. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. I look forward to that too. Hey, it's Tim again. Just to clarify, the answer to the last question was no answer, <laughs> which you can interpret however you like. Chasing Chasing Amy is now playing at the Tribeca Festival, formerly known as the Tribeca Film Festival, and I'm sure it's coming your way sometime very soon after Tribeca. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.